Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? I bet you're ready to get down with some D&D, and we're going to do that, but we're going to do that in a slightly different way today. I am back from Winter Fantasy, where I had a great time playing a ton of D&D with so many excellent people. All the Bald Man Games DMs were excellent that I had. Uh, gamed with James Intracasso, uh DM David, and many, many others. But what I wanted to have you hear was a talk that I had with Mike Sly Flourish Shea about the convention, his work in the hobby, and the theater of the mind versus the grid combat articles that he wrote for D&D Beyond. So the interview lasts for about 40 minutes. I think it's got a lot of great content, and I hope you enjoy it. Hey everybody, this is Sean Murren from Down With D&D. I am here at Winter Fantasy 2019 in actual sunny but cold Fort Wayne, Indiana. And I am here with none other than Mike Sly Flourish Shea. <laughs> it's a mouthful. It is. <laughs> uh, just to sit down and catch up on what he's been working on. So how's it going, Mike? Good. It's been going great. Yeah? yeah. Uh, how's your show so far? My show's been wonderful. Yeah. I haven't had a single bad game. Um, I'm... I'm completely traumatized by a Robert Schwab game, but I, I understand that that's part of the course. It, it is, especially if Rob is the one who Rob runs was it. the one who ran it. Yeah, yeah. I and, actually, I, and I will never be the same again. I actually just gave uh, Rob a big hug, so I, yeah. I haven't had a chance to talk to him yet. But he's working on a a new yeah I love the, letter to uh, yep. D and D love love letter to Greyhawk as he as he yep. puts it. Yeah, and that's so, what we played. So you've been playing mostly Adventures League stuff. Yes, and, yeah. and so far so good. Yeah, how great. Yeah, no, what, no what, doors. What, I didn't get killed. <laughs> didn't get killed by any Sean Merwin adventures, so it's been good. Well, almost. Almost. Just yeah. last slot. Yeah, just last slot. I almost floated off into space, but, but that was good. I had a rope. <laughs> rope is important. Yeah. If you don't have so a rope. So is oxygen, it turns this, out. This is true. If you don't have a rope, you deserve to die. The oxygen, I, I would <laughs> I would take uh, responsibility for that. Uh, so, yeah, what are your... Um, what are your impressions of Winter Fantasy itself? Oh, I love Winter Fantasy. So it's my, it, I think it's probably either tied, probably my, it's my second favorite convention. After, after, after <laughs> the, which? The only, yeah, then the only one that, uh, that beats it is because it's an hour away from my house. And I can drive there very easily. So okay. Winter Fantasy, it's, you know, two flights yeah. to get here and two flights back. Yeah, uh, it's, or a long car ride. It really yeah. is a great, uh, Bald Man Games puts on a great show. Yep. And uh, they they're able to since it's a smaller show bring their best DMs, mm -hmm. and yeah. so you, it's very hard to get a bad DM at, yeah. at, at the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and every game we've had has been great. Yeah, yeah. some good content. Same with me because I've been playing mostly. Yeah, and so you know I always sit down like I'm I'm just going to play. I'm not going to critique anything. The adventure, <laughs> the, the DM. But in the back, you're of a better your man head, than I. <laughs> but it, no, but in the back of your head, you're always like, you know. She could be talking louder, or you know, he could be handling initiative yeah. better. Yeah. But for the most part, it's a pretty solid game that that you gave. Yeah, even even my even my worst games, I try to at least pick up good tips that I can pass along or, right. or learn myself, or or, um, or trap the writer, or trap the writer. If I can, if I have an opportunity <laughs> to to kidnap the writer for an hour, right. I'll I'll, def I'll definitely take it. But it, you know, it, it is funny because it is true about writing a lot of content that 
it's hard to put that genie back in the bottle yeah. and just sit back and enjoy something. Yeah. I guess it's the same thing for any art or any like a movie director yeah. just sitting down to enjoy a movie without saying, why did they make that right. choice or, or right. you know, this. Yeah, and it's funny. That, like, yeah, so I was, you know, I, I kind of worried about that. Like, oh, I'm, you know, if you get, quote, unquote, in the industry, you start to dissect everything instead of enjoying the art that's there. I haven't found that to be the case for myself. Like, right. I, I seem to be enjoying doing both. Um, we just played an adventure that you had a hand in, mm-hmm. right? It was the 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 um, uh, I guess it's the eight the eight season eight epic season eight epic, yep. And it was awesome, right? And it was just, I mean, I don't use the word fantastic lightly, right? We say everything's fantastic, but when I am, you know, a swashbuckling pirate on an asteroid, in the you know outside of Faroon, fighting off an illithid giant Death Star sized warship. It's hard to get more fantastic than that. That's, so, and even though I'm thinking about how, oh, that's very interesting how the design worked, I'm also like, we are in space fighting in this. You know? Yeah, when you can so, ignore the, yeah. the, uh, what went into it and the mechanics and so on and right. just enjoy the story. And I th- yeah, I think it's something that we can lose, too, particularly the longer, the longer we do it, both as people that write in it and people that play it, is it's hard for us to let our imaginations go free again. Right. And um, I've paid more attention to that recently where, like, I, I have a friend uh, in particular I know. And I remember, like, as a DM, I would describe things and his eyes would close. Mm-hmm. And at first I was like, is he zoning out? And it's like, no, he is paying more attention. Like, he's cutting off one of his senses so he can really go where I'm talking about. And I, I brought it up with him. He goes, yeah, I always, I'm always afraid people think I'm tuning out when I'm visualizing what you're talking right. about. Yeah. And, and I've been doing that recently. I did it in the game with Rob Schwab at the proper times. There were... Times where I did not want to imagine the things he was describing. This is true. But there were times where I definitely wanted to imagine the things he was describing. And, that, and trying to get back to that when we're, you know, middle-aged professional folks who right. it's kind of hard to go back to doing that. But I think it's really important while we're doing this. Yeah. So, so don't, don't forget the story. That's true. So you're taking your time out to be here. Yeah. Um, we, were, we wanted to have you on the show to talk about your series of blogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. With, the, the with the Theater of stuff. the Mind yeah. and Grid. And, yeah. yeah. So could you... Based on your experiences yes. here, sure. talk about some of those issues and topics that you talked about in those blog articles. Yeah. Um, so interesting when playing the adventure again that you had a good a good solid hand in. Uh, it was all theater of the mind. Right? Okay. We, we played for four hours with theater of the mind with a group of six of us. I think it was six, five or six of us. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. But nobody mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Like it, it didn't come up of like, well, I don't know exactly where that quagoth is or right. where those other guys are and we rip through combat like mm-hmm. we we you know i i at no point did i feel like well this is getting too abstract right we're just talking about the dice and we're not doing anything um it really made the you know the scenes were explosive in their in the speed of their action and that was due i think in part that we were not worried about you know zeroing in down to the five foot square right. when you're on an asteroid in space yeah and, right? and even though there were like skiffs or yeah. ships oh, it was very complicated. space involved yeah. mm-hmm. you were still able to yeah play in such a way that you could enjoy the epic scope of right. it and not be be pulled down onto a five right. foot grid right uh, you could you let your imagination do it yeah uh, and we had a, we had a dm that was also very good at it right yeah. she clearly knew uh, you know, because there's a big part of like the DM has to really work with the players to make things happen, right? right? And to make the fun parts happen. And uh, you know, I'm not sure it's the best term, but a permissive DM, a DM who is saying yes, you know, let's right. let's figure out how to do that, right. is almost you know required, probably required, uh, you know, for in my opinion, for a good game, right? You, you know, when 
I, I think that a big piece of, of the grid, and, and it's a slightly controversial topic, and I've had, I'll bring it up and I'll get, you know, I'll, I'll hear about it on Twitter. Sure. Um, that uh, um, if you're not working with the players, you know, if you're, if you're an antagonistic DM, um, it's, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, that you, you, you need, oh, that the, the players lose agency. Right. If you, if you take visual elements away. Right. They, they, they lose their ability to manipulate the game and know that it's going to happen a certain way. Sure. And that agency is handed to the DM. Right. If the DM doesn't immediately hand that agency back again, right. it loses that connection. Yeah. You know? And that's, um, that idea of that players lose agency in theater of the mind is, is for, even for people who play theater of the mind, they're like, no, they don't. They have lots of agency. Right. They have agency because either we as game masters or the table are right. giving them that agency back. Yeah. But it's... Yeah, it can and, be tricky. And you know, I've heard players who are very, um, very competitive, mm-hmm. who who kind of want the DM to be antagonistic, right? Um, not like theater of the mind because they feel like the DM is too permissive. Mm-hmm. But you can still be an antagonistic DM in terms of challenging the players. Right. Oh yeah, uh, you don't have to totally hand things over. You can you can make a game of that in itself. Right. right. You can say. Well, you can get these four with the fireball, mm-hmm. or you can get five if you put the <laughs> put your your fighter in there, in there. <laughs> and, and that becomes a game in and of itself. Right. It becomes yeah. a yeah. cool part of the story. What do you decide to do? Yeah, sure. Uh, sure. So even though it's it's up in the air, it's still a game. Yeah, um, yeah. You're still rolling dice. You're still right. rolling damage. You're still you know yeah. The challenges can still be really high, mm-hmm. right? And um, it, but it, to me, like losing the grid in particular is about resolution like the the you know the almost the pixel density of the game and right. it's like do you want the pixel density to be really high or do you want it to be you know relatively low and fluid sure and um you know you can still have a fair bit of you know not of tactics mm-hmm. it's just we don't have to worry about move you know yeah. getting our movement exactly right we, and so the game we had today we actually did i take it back so not the whole thing wasn't theater of the mind um there was an area where we were you know, fighting on a, a relatively large grid, some kind of pyramid thing with an you know, artifact at the top, and we had to go to the artifact and protect it while right. I was getting ambushed by all these dudes, including like an ogre with a battering ram. Mm-hmm. Um, and near the end of it, we're kind of, you know, epics are timed events. Sure. So the timing matters a lot. And, if, and the DM is keeping very careful track of the time and knew that, like, hey, we're getting close to the end. And one of the players is like, she has a paladin. He had a paladin on the other side of the map. Right. And he was like, I want to get, you know, can I get my paladin over there? And, and, and the DM's like, sure. So he moved the paladin right over, you know, 15 right. squares right. and attacked in melee. Right. Right? And it's like, it, you know, oh, it doesn't work because you only have a 30-foot movement. Right. And like, who cares, right? Like, right. no one cares. What's fun is getting over there and killing the thing. Right. What's not fun is getting stuck halfway. Right. You know? right. So, you know, and, and this like, well, there's speed, you know, the speed is written into the game. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. But we've talked to a lot of the designers, and we've watched a lot of their shows on streaming. Right. They really don't do it, do they? Right, exactly. You know? Exactly, yeah. It's, it, it's, I, that was my first thing when it came out, is, is fifth edition said you don't need to use a map. Mm-hmm. But you, you, know, you give this one race 35-foot movement. Yeah, right. As opposed right. to 30. Yeah. So what are you really saying? Yeah. But what you're saying isn't necessarily what you have to say for the rest of your life. Yes. Right. Well, there's, there's another insight. I talked to, to, to Jeremy, not to name drop, but I'm, I'm sitting here talking to the Sean Merwin, so <laughs> I don't need to name drop. Um, but I, I talked to Jeremy Crawford, and, right. and, and I, I, I do feel like Wizards has left 
has you know left a good idea on the table by not having optional rules that they've published right. that talk about how to run theater, theater of the mind combat. Sure. I think that there's a there's a there's a gap for that. It's a gap I've tried to fill, but I'm just me, right. and you know me and my blog can't you know cover the whole range of D and D as much as I try. And <laughs> well, but you can you can you can certainly hit the highlights, right? Yeah, and I, well, I can kind of put, you know if I get articles on D and D Beyond, that certainly helps, right? right. Um, but I, I think that you know much they have like three different ways to do gridded combat in between the Dungeon Master's Guide and Xanathar's Guide. Right. There's a whole bunch of different rules for how to run gridded combat. Right. And none, there's, I think, like a half a page in the Dungeon Master's Guide that talks about gritted combat, or un, that talks about running theater of the mind. Sure. And I, so I think that they could, that they're leaving that on the table. And I brought that up to Jeremy Crawford, saying, like, I think you're white. And, and the question came up of, like, well, if you want to have this more abstract nature in the game, why do you have five-foot measurements? Right. And what he said is because we would be eliminating the grid completely if we didn't. That's very true. Right? You can, you can abstract it out. You can't put it back. Right. <laughs> so, that, that, that's very true. Right. You can't go to 13th Age, for example, right. which has completely abstract combat, and say, right. we're going to now give elves speed that's slightly faster than dwarves right. when your distance is near, far, and, right. <laughs> and engaged. Right? Yeah. So that made more sense. Uh, that... Uh, the, the, you know, I've had arguments with very good friends of mine, friends of ours, you know, who right. have said, like, well, obviously D&D is a gridded system, period, mm -hmm. because it has five-foot measurements. Right. And the answer is no. It has five-foot measurements, so it can support both. Right. Right. Because <laughs> right? right. otherwise it would be, like, fourth edition. Yes. Which was every square is just measured in squares, and right. you don't measure in feet at all. That's so. true. Yeah. I mean, you, you do need to make a game, and they, I think they attempted and did a pretty good job of making a game that can support both. Right. Yes. Um, I mean, obviously it does. Right. Like, we've seen, you know, the most popular shows on Twitch right. use Theater of the Mind Combat, you know, sometimes and other times use Grid. Right. And it works. Yep. You know? I mean, that's that's what's kind of interesting about, and you know, again, like, you know, guys like you and me will look at the system and kind of look at something, you know, I, my, my laser-like focus has focused on intellect devourers only because yes. I had to face seven of them yesterday. <laughs> and I'm like, CR2 and it completely, it takes a level five spell to fix it. Like, what is going on with this, right? right. So it's easy to sort of pick the details out and go like, you know, wow, this, is, this needs work, right? I need right. to tweak this. Like, right. Heroes Feast, I need to work on <laughs> Heroes Feast, right? And, but the reality is like this system on its own with very little changes in, since its original publication Right. is hugely popular. It works. Like, the system works as is. It right. doesn't really need those tweaks. Right. Um, and I, I think that that's a fascinating thing about how well this system has worked, mm -hmm. you know, overall, that they can, it can support all this stuff. It can support many, not even two, but many different kinds of combat. I mean, the DMG has right. facing in it. Right. You know, <laughs> there's yeah. all kinds of interesting optional rules that probably a lot of people don't even really know are there because you, you might skim over it. Right. But there's a there's a you know, plethora of different ways to run this game that's all packed into these three books. Yeah. You know? So so talking about the D and D Beyond. Yeah. You know, you've been writing articles mm -hmm. for them. Um, what what inspired this whole series of the theater of the mind versus gritted combat? Mm -hmm. uh, so. Um, I mean, I've been pondering Theater of the Mind really since um, probably a little bit into fourth edition, mm -hmm. mostly because fourth edition was so you know focused on non Theater of the Mind, and I was I had played with ideas of like mostly for speed, right? Because fourth edition battles are slow. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to get a bunch of tweets about that, but 
It, that's, it that's what I believe. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of evidence that says that's the case, including yes. Wizards saying, we got that from surveys. Yep. So, um, yeah, so combat was slow in 4E, and I, and I wanted more options to say, like, well, we want combat to be a good storytelling mechanism without it being a tactical battle every time. Mm -hmm. So if you go into a hallway and there's two guards, two sleepy guards at the end of the hall, one of your options can go up and stab him to death before anybody hears. Right. That's kind of, you know, you don't need a tactical fight to figure out whether you can stab the guards to, get to right. death, right? You can right. figure that out in narrative. But the fourth edition, there really wasn't a system for that. And since all of the powers had so many kickers of mm -hmm. distance-based things, you can shove two or you can slide three or whatever, it was hard to even have a system for that. Yeah. But I toyed with a couple, and I don't think they ever really worked very well. Mm -hmm. um, but then in, when the playtest for 5e, when D &D, the D&D Next playtest came out, and I started seeing more people running it that way, and I got really kind of interested in... in, in that idea of um, having multiple ways to do combat, you know, that you don't have to run it the same way. Um, and I did it more and more and more and obsessed about it more and more, right? And then, oh, and then 13th Age came out. And 13th Age, to me, has this, you know, wonderful system of, of abstract distances for things. Right. And my group and I played a lot of 13th Age. And I, I, I could still use a grid, right? Mm -hmm. I'd still pull out my Dwarven Forge, and I would build these, like, super elaborate setups. Right. And then I would just kind of put my hand and be, these are close, these are far, right? right? And, and it worked really well. Mm -hmm. um, so then 5th came out, and um, I, I did a, a good mix of it. But I certainly felt like, um, and, and I think I've run polls on this, and the, and the polls still heavily swing towards the grid, that most mm -hmm. DMs still run the grid. I think it's like 80-20, yeah. right? And... It's not a matter of saying, you know, I want that to be 2080, right? right? It's right, not right. like everyone gets to play this however they want. But when we think about the storytelling options that we have available, right. the more tools we have in our toolbox to be able to tell that story, the better we are. Sure. And if the story is there's two sleepy guards at the end of a hall, or you are standing on the wing of an astral skiff flying towards a mile-wide illithid warship, show me that on a grid. Right. right, like I don't have enough squares in this room to fill out that, but sure. I can describe it, and we can start to figure out what that means mechanically right. if we have the tools to be able to do that. Yeah. So I wrote about a th uh, theater of the mind for years. Right, I've had I've had an article that I continually updated for probably five years, mm -hmm. and um, I had written a series of articles for D and D Beyond um, uh, for Adam and Todd there. Um, on new players, mm -hmm. on, on tips for new tips for new DMs. I wrote a six article series for tips for new DMs, and that you know I I, I didn't screw up, <laughs> you know, I, and they, they they so they I accepted them, that they accepted it, and 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 as you know, right when they come back and say, hey, would you like to do more? You're like, okay, I guess you like the last stuff because right. <laughs> you probably wouldn't ask otherwise. Right. So they said, well, pitch us on some stuff, and I said, okay, well, I'm going to pitch. I had two series of articles in my mind, and I'm going to pitch the one they're probably going to reject. So that I have the other one ready, right? I'll say, like, I'm going to pitch this really archaic right. one that probably nobody wants to hear Mike Shea talk about anymore. And we'll see how that goes. And then I'll have this other series. Right. And then they accepted the archaic one, right? So, <laughs> like, I didn't – I wouldn't expect that people would want to have, like, a, a multi – like, it was originally slated for, I think, a five-article, six-article series. And, and I kind of joke that, like, how do you fill out six articles with Theater of the Mind alone, right? Yeah. And I ended up doing five. Like, I, I think I wrote I, – I ended up – 
kind of saying like, I had this topic. It's really not worth a couple thousand words. So we're just going to mash that topic into these other ones. Right. And then we'll, I'll, I can do five. And the five are not all like Mike Shea beating you in the face about <laughs> why to do theater of the mind, right? right. Um, there's a lot about like how do you do it. There's a lot about adjudicating. Because many times the arguments I hear back, both on Facebook and Twitter when I talk about it, is like, well, my monk has this ability where he moves an extra five feet, you know, yeah. an extra five feet. Right. What happens to that in theater of the mind? So it's like, okay, well, let me – let me take that instead of just coming up with an immediate response. Let right. me take that and add that to a how do you adjudicate edge cases, right. right? Right. And then so there's a whole article about what do you do with your you know your your glaive wielding shield master uh, sentinel, right. right? What do you do with the people that you know where where movement is not double, right. But is like this fraction of it, right? And I offer a bunch of like, well, here's how to think about it. you know, and it all I mean. The yeah. cheat is it all comes back to one phrase, which is what's the intent? Right. Right. What do you want to do? Right. right? What's, what's the intent of this rule? Yeah. And if, how you, do you... if you are a, if you are a player with a glaive wielding sentinel shield fighter, and you're in a fight with twelve orcs, what do you, you know? Yeah. I want, and you can just say it like I want to make sure that I'm blocking as many as these orcs from getting to as many as my friends as possible. Right. And like, got it. Like we will do that. Right. So always falling back to that. Ask the player because, and I think this gets to your competitive question, right? right? Like. Right. Players sometimes want to hold back what their intent is because right. they think you're going to screw them. Right. They, they, or they want to spring it on you. Right. They, they want, want to surprise you. And right. you're like, I'm here, I'm here to help. Right. right. So right. you tell me what you want to do. Describe it for me. And, I'll, and, and the fun bit is when you're breaking the rules. So, you know, like when you are, an astral skiff is flying through and I should have died, but instead I'm hanging from a rope on the back. Right. You know, because it's very Jack Sparrow. Right. And it just makes the game fun. So yeah. guess what? I saved my character from dying in space yeah. by coming up with a decent story. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, that's, and that's the advantage. So I think circling to your question of how it came to be, I pitched it, they accepted it, and, um, and, I, and I wrote the series. And it, and it was, well, I mean, you know, from everything I could tell, it was well received. The comments on the site. I don't have comments on my own blog because I really don't want to hear what people have to say. Right. But um, <laughs> on, on, uh, there are comments on D&D Beyond, sure. and the comments were were very. Um, unless there's some crazy filter that I don't know about, right. um, people were digging into the topic, and yeah. there were people that are not grid. Or there were people that are not on board. Right. But they had good discussion about it sure. and good, you know, good description. Well, and and yeah, I, I I was happy to see that. Yeah, I think it's an interesting topic just in general and why they probably accepted it in the first place. Well, one, because you were writing it. But <laughs> two, because over the editions, this pendulum has swung back and yeah. forth, you know, starting as a war game, mm -hmm. but then getting into there, – there was no grid, right, in mm -hmm. AD&D first edition. Right. But there were measurements. Yeah. yeah, right. Which most people ignored. Right. Because unless you were a war gamer that had the uh, ruler or the yeah, yardstick right, or right. whatever you used to go, oh, five inches mm -hmm. on, on the table in front of me, mm -hmm. you just kind of did what made sense for the story. Right. Which was sort of kept through second edition. And then third edition went, mm -hmm. you know, more more grid. More yeah. grid. And then yeah. four, you know, so there's this, this pendulum yeah. swinging. Yeah. And then you bring streaming in. Yeah. Where it's not easy, but it's manageable to put a camera on a group of people. Mm -hmm. Whereas to have a top-down camera yeah. and a <laughs> camera moving from the DM to the minis to uh, yeah. makes if you're, it hard. If you're critical role, yeah. you can yes. get away with it. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So so then the the audience is now thinking theater of the mind, Right. the new audience, yeah. whereas the old school, even if it was fourth edition, you were on the grid. Right. And so to, to meld those two things or to come to terms with be, having multiple ways of playing is so important mm -hmm. that 
that did, that does not sound archaic to me at all. That sounds mm-hmm. like where we live. Yeah, you know, as well, designers and, and as players. Yeah, and I wonder if that's where like the the sort of shift in the feedback that I've gotten about it has come from is like a is a lot. E- I mean, this is true for D and D in general. You know, if anybody wants to know what D and D is, you can send them a URL now, and they can see exactly what D and D looks like. Right. You know, without anybody doing any work yep. because they already did it. And that we never had that. Like there was, you know, decades where you'd say, "What's D and D?" and you'd describe it, and they still have no idea what you're talking about. Right. And you're like, "Well, we're gonna have to sit down and do it." Right. And then you sit down and do it. Like, oh, this is what D and D is. Right. Well, now we can show it, right? right. Really show it. Yeah. And I think the same is true with theater of the mind. That like if you say, well, "You want to see," and I did this in the article, right? right. I said, "If you want to see, you know, I, I'm gonna pick this example. It wasn't. I think the example I used in my um, in the article was uh, Mike Merles ran a game at GameholeCon mm-hmm. that was this crazy powerful, I think it was like a 20th level game. Joe Maganello was there with his 20th level Dragonborn. Right. You know, and they're fighting like, you know, not Vecna, but, or Tharzadun. I don't know, something, right. some really big thing. And you're like, here's a game with 20th level characters fighting like an epic level boss. Never pulled out a grid. Right? Right. They just talked them through. And uh, the other one was uh, Chris Perkins ran a, one of his AI games, his Acquisitions Incorporated right. game. He ran all Theater of the Mind. Right. And so I was like, if you want to see what Theater of the Mind looks like and see it work, you, you can't go wrong with Chris Perkins and Mike Merles. Right. You know, and don't give me this, like, nobody really plays that way. I just told you. Yeah. <laughs> like, here's the lead story guy and the lead development guy right. both playing it that play. way. And yesterday we played in a 20th level game. Yeah. Oh, my God. James Intercaso yeah. running. Yeah. So the, the problem is now I have two games that I played this con that – are battling in my head for which was more epic, right? Because, right. like, yeah, it's, it's hard to beat. You know, show me the grid where you have my 20th level fighter riding away on a flying Tarrasque on the planet of Tarrasques. Right, right. <laughs> with, with 20, yeah. uh, 20 spirit warriors. Yeah, right. And Halster right. uh, Black Cloak right yeah. in the back as well. Right, right. right. Oh, my, and, you know, no, oh, my God. It was just awesome, right? right. That whole thinking of that game was you know just makes my head spin and yeah. and yeah like what kind of grid are you gonna have when you have like this mile high tower right. with a giant gate at the top there are literally 50 tarasks coming up that i'm spoiling this adventure <laughs> sorry. sorry sorry james yeah sorry james and uh if you're planning on playing uh was it attack from the planet Tarasks? Yeah. yeah yeah if you're planning on playing this you probably don't listen but there are a lot of tarasks yes and there's a planet of tarasks because it's in the title yeah. and um and as you imagine, it's very big. There's no grid. That's yeah. good. the big joke we had for, for, for you know, I told James is like, I don't, I don't count them as Tarasks unless you have a mini for them. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and that was mostly because I didn't want to die. Yeah. Give um, me, bring 50 Tarasks next time. Yeah. Please. And I never felt like tactically my, I was, I mean, I did feel tactically constrained only because my great weapon wielding fighter stepped out on a plateau and saw his main villain 400 feet away on a flying Tarask. I'm like, you know, yeah. hey, uh, uh, Sean, your bird character is going to have to fly me over there because there's no way I'm going to be able to hit that thing otherwise. Right. So that that was great fun. Like, yeah. I just love that. And I love that, you know, that – and that I, I think this is why I harp so much about why theater of the mind is a good kind of technique to keep in, a, in, our, in our golf bag. Mm-hmm. And it's because you don't want to constrain yourself to a story that fits a grid. Right. You you know I and and, and I'm, my other new things kind of, now that I've said I think it was uh, David our our friend David Hartledge right okay, we're right. playing with um, he jokes because he's he likes the grid and he you know right. he likes the way he plays D and D he's like oh my god is please tell me this is the last I have to hear you talk about theater of the mind and I'm like probably <laughs> yeah. like I really don't, yeah but I said you're gonna see those articles on my website because I get to cross publish them on my website right. but after that I don't think I'm gonna be talking about it much more because right. I think I've squeezed every drop of juice I'm gonna get out of this topic right. but the next one which I'm still 
paying a lot of attention to is how do you run a battle against 10,000 skeletons? Right. Right? Like, I, right. you know, I don't want to be constrained in the number of guys I fight. And right. the system kind of expects these small squad, right. you know, squal, well, small squads. But there are, there are times where you'll go into a room and there's 10,000 skeletons in a right. giant hall. Yeah. How do you play that out? You know, yeah. what, what are the mechanics? And I've tried a whole bunch of different mechanics. There's mechanics that are in the DMG for it. Right. But that's kind of like my new, my new thing. Yeah. And, the, and the reason why is because I don't want to have any barrier. Right. I don't want to be like, well, I've got to make sure that I don't put more than eight guys in a fight because the battle will be too, you know. Yeah. I, who's going to roll 10,000 D20 right. to determine how many skeletons hit your fighter, <laughs> right. Right. you know. <laughs> Probably that's enough. It <laughs> <Yeah. Yeah. laughs> doesn't matter how high your fighter is. Generally that's speaking. a lot of crit. You know, yeah. Just to the average, that's a lot of crits, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so I think that's why I think it's an important topic mm -hmm. is because um, – I, I, I personally don't want any of the stories that we tell and that I tell to be constrained by anything right. other than our heads. And hopefully we can just keep expanding those out as far as we go. And I think your, right. the, the game I just played with you right. – I'm sorry, I didn't play with you, but you right. kind of I played with you. Right. You wrote it. Or you yeah. wrote a good chunk of it. Had no constraints. Right. You know, and it was wonderful in its scale and scale. It was M.T. Black, right? So I want to give credit to him as well. You know, that, that is awesome when you get to see – um, how far out these things scale in our brains right. and, and giving the tools for us to still play a game and still have the, all of the elements that make these games great without being hindered by I don't have the right mini or yep. it's got to fit in a 24 by 36 inch grid yep. or, um, or I can only play with eight, guy, eight villains because two more, any more villains than that and it's too hard for me too, to balance. Too, too yeah. high a CR, yeah. Uh, so, what are you working on now that you can talk about, or what's out there? Sure. I'll, I'll, so, I just finished Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. It's out the door. I still get occasional emails from Kickstarter backers like, oh, didn't you owe me something? And I'm like, yes, I told you all about it, but here you go. Right. Like, thank you for paying attention. I don't know. In Kickstarters, this happens where people back and then abandon them. Right. Um, not, on the back, not on the people making it, but on the people who back it. Right. I, am, I am bad at this. I've had it. I backed like 120 Kickstarters, and regularly like every couple of months i'll have to go like just through the list of them and go back and look at the messages and be like oh i'm supposed to download a thing you know yeah. and then actually get the reward that i paid for right because they're like nine months out and you kind of forget and everyone's getting a ton of email sure. um so uh that is out fully it's out on every channel i can put it out on so it's on yeah. rpg now it's or uh, drive through rpg it's on my own website it's on amazon um, so, uh, both in digital Kindle form, PDF and, um, and an audiobook. So it's on audible. Awesome. Oh, um, really? So you can listen to it. You can listen to it. Yep. yep. Who reads yep. it? Uh, Colby Elliott is the guy okay. who did it. Colby Elliott, uh, reached out to me during the, when I wrote Lazy Dungeon Master and he did an audiobook version of that, okay. which was a very humbling experience. Um, to hear a professional write, reader read words that I wrote makes me want to claw my eyes out of my head. Right. Um, not because it's, he's bad, but because. You know, he's adding professionalism to work that I, you know, I'm like hearing it's, my own words read back to me. Is it's funny that you say that because humbling. I was in an MFA program for creative writing, mm -hmm. and I had uh, one of my professors would do that. She would read, and she had a wonderful voice. She read her own books, on, right? On, and so she read it back. And I was just like, my words are not worthy of this. Right, voice. that's exactly the way it is. And and he so he read the first chapter of. Um, Lazy Dungeon Master, and it was 
Like there was a, like a weird grammatical thing in the first couple of sentences. And I heard it. I'm like, ah, you know, like, so anyway, he, he came back and said, how would you like to, uh, you know, he goes, whatever you're doing next, I'd like to work on that too. And I said, well, I'm working, this was early in the development of return. Okay. Um, where I said, oh yeah, absolutely. I'd love to have you read return. So he actually got like the fourth copy of it before it went to layout. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then he, that way he could start doing the, the narration for it at the same time that I could do, um, we could do all the rest of the production on the book. And that worked really, really well. Okay. Um, and the only constraint that I had was I said, you can't get, the, audio, the audible version can't go out before the backers get the other one. Sure. So he was kind of sitting on it for a little while. But that meant it came out really quickly. And um, yeah, it's been, the reviews on it have been very good. It, yeah. it sounds great. So for anyone who, for some reason, has, doesn't know, what would be in that book? Uh, so it starts off with a... Um, uh, eight step, uh, eight tips. Uh, so the whole book is like I researched as much as I could research. You know, I hit I hit all sorts of stuff on how do people run their games, mm-hmm. right? What do they do? And the um, uh, the first thing I did was kind of refine it down to say what are the what are the eight what are eight steps that you can take in order to uh, prep your game? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I won't go through all the eight steps because sure. it's too long. But you can go see it because I, I, there's a free preview of it on my okay. website, and it has the eight steps. In fact, it has the full checklist written out. And the, the idea is, like, you can take whatever components of these eight. You don't have to do them all. And then use those to help build your game. Okay. Um, I have a YouTube series that I started, uh, God, I think, I think a few a, a while ago. I kind of just started it on a whim. And I think I've now been doing it for a while where I use the steps to go through uh, prep for uh, whatever game I'm running on okay. Sundays, right. which right now just finished Tube of Annihilation. Right, right. And that way people can see, like, well, how do you do it, right? right. And I can point them to this thing, uh, and they can see, like, what an hour discussion about going through the steps is like. Um, so the book is broken out into three big pieces, uh, prepping for your game, running your game, and thinking about your game. Okay. And the prepping a game is the eight steps, right. um, with a few other things like well, how do you run a session zero, um, you know, what are the other high-value uh, things that you can do for your game. Like the whole, the whole premise of the book, the premise of the original book was how do we get more with less, right? right. How, do you, how do you, what are the, what are the preparation activities that we can do um, that will matter the most to run a fun game? And I, I don't bash too hard on like what are the prep activities we do that don't. Right. The, the common one, and again, I, get, I hear about this on Twitter when I bring it up, world building. Right, that um, I have I have friends on both sides. Right, I've got um, uh, my good friend Danny on one side, and I got my good friend Enrique on the other. And Enrique said something where it's like, no, can we swear on this channel? Or nobody knows where. I prefer not. No one gives a hoot about your campaign world. Right. No one gives a hoot about the gods that live up on the hill. They don't care about that empire that's out in the seas. They don't care about your twenty thousand year history. They want to know about what's going on in the town I'm in right now. Mm-hmm. What's in the basement? in the inn that's causing everybody to feel so weird, right? right? So, they, you know, that narrow right. focus. And then on the other side is, like, who are you to say we can't develop campaign worlds? Like, right. I like doing that. Yeah. And, you know, so, right, exactly. Who the hell am I to say you shouldn't do a campaign world? If you want to do one, you don't need my permission. Right. Yeah, you could do it. But I, I do feel like, and I've heard it from many, again, I, I have quotes from many of the designers of D&D who said, I made a lot of, I think I have one from Perkins. Like, right. I have a lot, I made a lot of mistakes and put a lot of energy into stuff that really didn't end up being valuable at the table. Sure. That's what this book focuses on. Right. What's the stuff that is valuable? Mm-hmm. If you want to do other stuff, go with the gods, right? right. But, but if you really want to think about 
what are the things that matter to the players? So step one is who are the characters, mm-hmm. right? Like, let, just write them down. Do you know all their names? Like, I bet you this is a te- – I fail it, right? I fail – I'll certainly fail it on my um, uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist game because we only had one session. Right. Can I name them all, right. right? From the top of my head, can I name all the characters? If you can't name all the characters at the top of your head, you're probably not paying enough attention to the characters. Yeah. And that's what matters, right? right? They care about what happens to them. Right. So step one is what happens to them, right? Then the next one is get them into the action, right? What's the st- what, how does it start? And don't bore me, right? Don't bore them. Right, make something happen. Make something show them that show the players you're playing D and D, and bring the characters into the action. Right, like, mm-hmm. hey, guess what? A giant illithid warship is attacking our Githyanki asteroid. Right. Okay, I'm in. Right, like, you don't need a big story. Hook right, or you don't a need backstory and, for that. You don't need a big backstory. Right, so, um, so these are the things that the, the book focuses on. So that's really the 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 first part of. Um, uh, prepping for your game, running the game, are all of the things that we can do while the game is going on to uh, make sure that we're having the most fun mm-hmm. and um, to, to focus on the action. And then thinking about the game is, is an area that, um, again, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about. Um, so I'm thinking about thinking about my game. Mm-hmm. Um, what, how, what, are we, what are we putting into our heads? Mm-hmm. Right? What are we flooding our minds with so that we're getting all the inspiration we need? And, it, and some of it's easy. Like, just read the monster manual. Like, seriously. Mm-hmm. Put it in like, I, I bet you a lot of people haven't. I, so I had Mike Morales embarrass me by s- telling a whole channel full of people one day you know, that Mike Shea admitted to me he never actually read the monster manual, right? And, and I was humbled and said, oh, damn it, I'm going to read it. Did so, you sit down and read the monster manual? Oh, yeah. I've read, <laughs> I've read Mo- Monster Manual, Volo's Guide, Morning Canaan. So now I, you know, I, I read them all cover to cover. Right. And I focus on the lore, right? So it's like, what is a Quagoth? And where did it come from? And, you know, and that matters. And, and again, like the, 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 the Quagoth have this connection to the Mind Flayers. Right. So when they show up, like I don't know that the people at our table today understood that Quagoth and Troglodytes are, have this connection to Mind Flayers. Right. I do because I read it, <laughs> right, right. right? And and a DM, that matters, right? right? What are the, it's, it's you know we look at challenge ratings like well I want to make sure I have the right challenge rating monster for whatever they're fighting, but if you have like well I have a devil commanding three demons, right. you're like that doesn't that, work that like that. Right, right. Right. There better be a re- are they enslaved? Right. You know exactly. there could be a reason. You you know you should know what that. It's kind of like grammar, right? Like you right. can violate grammar when you know what it is. Right. Um, and, and the same is true when we're talking about monsters. So how do we flood our brains? Mm-hmm. And then it's also like, you know, where do we, you know, where do we get our ideas yeah. from? Where is inspiration? Where does inspiration? And the answer is everywhere, right. right? But so I think, I think it's valuable to pay attention to where we're getting our inspiration, you know. Watch good movies, right? Watch good TV shows. Yeah. If you're watching crap, stop watching crap. Right? <laughs> right? And or, I, I watch crap. Like, or, or take that yeah. crap and make something wonderful. I, I guess, right? Like, right. I, I find myself, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm hammering through my second viewing of all the Mad Men episodes. I'm not sure that's helping D&D at all. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> that's a little bit of a stretch. But, um, uh, you know. Unless you're doing Acquisitions Incorporated. I guess if you're doing Acquisitions Incorporated, yeah. Yeah, but I can't stop watching it. So, um, uh, so that's really the third part of the book. That is, boy, that's the longest description of the no, book. No, that's ever, that's but, wonderful. But that's what's in there. Yeah, and that, and it was very important to me that you. So I, a the price is cheap. I kept it at eight bucks for the PDF and like thirteen dollars for print. Awesome. So it's it's a it's it's and that's because of the Kickstarter backers. I had a, a wonderful response to the Kickstarter, and that meant that I could make sure that the price. The original book was six. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I really, you know, I. The, what's it worth? Maybe twenty. Right, I think it's right. really it's got art. It's got really nice design. It was edited by Scott Fitzgerald Gray, oh, who is you know legend legend editor in the world of D and D. Fantastic guy. Mm-hmm. So uh, I feel like it's worth more than that. But I also want to get into as many hands as possible. Sure. 
and um, not not for vanity reasons, but because I, right. because I, want, I want it to help people. Right, we want the and game hopefully it to, does. to right. flourish. And, right. the, and the feedback has been has been has been good. Right. Um, so uh, so that's what I had worked on, and oh my god, so I spent six weeks worried about the spine of the print version. So I I I, I, want, I sort of crossed over. I've crossed this over and didn't realize it, that I've moved from writer to publisher, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize it until this book. And, and the, there's a lot of bits of the publisher part that drive me bananas. Yeah. You know? So um, I think I heard you guys on Misdirected Mark talking about this, right? That, right. Like, you know, some of the little details of, it's, of it, the publishing industry is absolutely maddening. It turns into a whole different Yeah, it's game. a different thing. Yeah. And it's not honestly the part that I like. Like, right. I like, I like the writing. Yeah. You know, and I like I like the writing, and I love it when it's done. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, and the, but the rest is where the energy goes, and, and right. you know. But then I also like to have my own thing. Um, so then I'm working I'm working on another thing. Uh, it is unless you know I don't, I'm not saying it to be coy. I'm more saying it because asteroids get hit, and who knows what a year is going to look like. But I'm writing. I'm going back to what Fantastic Adventures was like. So my previous book to return uh, was a book called Sly Flourish's Fantastic Adventures, which were ten short adventures that you could plop into any RPG yep. uh, or any any game world, like they're fifth edition based, yeah. um, but they're really lightweight. They don't have, uh, they're, they're not built around any sort of common story or big campaign. Um, and uh, I got a lot of good feedback on that. Um, so, I, and I, I feel like, you know, when we look at this industry, I'm sure you do the same thing. We look at this industry and say like, where are the gaps? Right. You know, where, where is there plenty of attention? Right. And then where are the, where are the things that aren't? Right. getting met. And right. it's harder these days, right? It's, it's true. System's been out for five years. Right. Uh, Wizards is putting out fantastic books. Cobalt Press is putting out fantastic books, right? There's lots and lots of material. Mm-hmm. The irony is, okay, I say that, and then I'm like, well, so what are you going to do? One more adventures. Right. That's one that's got a lot of attention on it. Right. I mean, it, there's... But you can always have more. Things, <laughs> thing, there is a lot of blank because people want a lot of blank. Yeah, And yeah. adventures is one of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so when Fantastic Adventures first came out, um, again, my friend Enrique, who, who you know inspires inspires me in many directions, um, said like you know I, these these hardback adventures that people are putting out these are great, but no one has the time to run a 260 page adventure. And I understand like right. I put a ton of my energy into running D and D games, right. and it takes me you know it took me 15 months to run Storm King's Thunder, right. and it took f- about 13 months to run Tomb of Annihilation, mm-hmm. and it's great you know because right. I paid 50 dollars for a hardback book and I can right. run it for you know, Forever, a good. year. That's awesome. But I know that I'm in a very privileged position to be able to run a weekly game, three hours a game right. for a year with missing like two or three, you yeah. know, and not a, and most people that like, I get my college friends back together. Right. We play on a weekend and we have, you know, four hours and then we got to do something. Right. So, um, so this drive for, I want more sh- small adventures yeah. that we can run in a condensed time. So I said, I'm going to do that. And I did that for Fantastic Adventures. I think the model worked, and now I'm taking, I'm looking at that again with okay. a new, a new set of, of probably ten, ten adventures. They'll be a little tighter tied together, but you don't need to have them. You, yeah. They have like a central hub, and you can kind of pull them off the hub and put them wherever you want. Nice. They will probably be all set underground. So the idea is that it's all under one big magical mountain, and all everybody loves going to the mountain. Artists like going there because they get inspired, and monsters like going there because they can eat artists. So <laughs> like everybody sort of heads to this mountain, nice. and people have been heading there for thousands of years so there's all kinds of layers and then there's like this happy group of of adventure an adventurers guild that sits right in the middle of the mountain and they just send people off to do adventures and they're like this you know they have they have parties all the time and they um they have no government system at all you know they just love being there and um 
that's sort of the, the hub for people to go off in these crazy ass adventures. And the adventures, I'm, I want them to be as wide in scope as some of the stuff that we have seen this weekend. You know, yeah. giant vaults that haven't been opened in 100,000 years right. with strange, tall, humanoid creatures that we've never seen before. Yeah. What are they? You know, right, and they're guarding something. And you're like, what the, oh my God, like, what are these guys guarding, you know? So that's, you know, I want that scope. Uh, probably low level, because okay. low level is usually easier to, for people to fit into their lives. Um, our, our friend James Intercasso did the design of the, um, he did the development of the pregens that we built for Fantastic Adventures, mm -hmm. which were all of the classes um, okay. for level one to five on one sheet, or on, on, in one character sheet. Nice. So similar to the ones that came in the basic set, only right. it's all the characters. Um, and uh, I wanted it to be compatible with those. I wanted, yeah. you know, it should be easy for you to print out of some character sheets. I have them with me, right? So it's <laughs> like, if I could get five people together, I could run a game. Sure. That, that's the sort of... A, Thing that I'm and you can put for. backgrounds that, you know, or yeah. flaws or whatever that tie in. Yeah, 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 that's nice. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm also putting more attention on art. So I, I had, I kind of lucked into how good the art was for Fantastic Adventures, and um, with the, the new one, uh, I kind of want art to drive a lot of what's happening in the adventures. So I'm doing the art orders while I'm going to be writing the text. Nice. And that way, as the art comes back, I can change the text to fit the art. Mm -hmm. um, I think that we. I had not been putting as much uh, attention and um, you know uh, uh, faith in the art mm -hmm. to drive a product right. than I did. You know, the art was not secondary exactly. I knew it was important. Right. But, but as writers, I thought, I thought my writing was important too. And now right. I think my, my writing is almost secondary. My writing is to help people get their characters into that art. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's funny how you know if you're a word based person, right? Like I am. Yeah. Right. For sure. Yeah. You know, art is like I don't, I don't look at art. As much, yeah. when I, fl I flip through the monster manual. And I'm like, okay, I recognize that creature by the art, but I'm not yeah. looking at the details. Yeah. But then, when you create a product and you talk with other people and realize mm -hmm. how important that art is, yeah, um, yeah. Like, Merle, Mike Merle's wrote a tweet recently that, yeah. that really spurred my attention to this, and that, and he wrote it just at the right time for me because his thing was like, I want better art in, in products overall. Like, I, I want right. to buy stuff with better art. Yeah. And I kind of grabbed onto what he said. And one of the things yeah. I did is, so Mark, Mark Radel is the mm -hmm. uh, art director for Colbo Press. So he's the art director for this new book. Nice. And um, Jack Kaiser, who does a lot of the art for Shadow of the Demon Lord, right. uh, he also did a bunch of art for Fantastic Adventures. He did the covers for Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master and the Lazy DM's workbook. Mm -hmm. um, he has agreed to do most, if not all, of the art in the new one. Oh, wow. And I'm going to start putting out art orders in April, and we're going to yeah. go through the year. Um, and... Uh, that I think is really where the energy of this book is going to, I hope is going to come from. It's weird now because it's like still this fuzzy ethereal thing. Right. And I'm like, I could just hit it with a rock and it would shatter in a million pieces. Right. right. But as soon as that art stuff comes in, it's going to start being more real. That's true. So I'm excited. About it. So that's my next year. Awesome. Is working on that. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, we are almost up to our next game. Yeah. We right. We don't want to miss our no, next game. Don't. But thank you so fun. much. Uh, just for anyone who has lived in the ethereal plane <laughs> for the last few years, where can people find you? Um, best place is my website, slyflourish.com, and I'm on Twitter all the time at uh, twitter.com slash slyflourish. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. Yeah, thank you. This is always You're done with d and Yeah, you know me. So I hope you enjoyed that. I hope it was entertaining. I hope it was informative. I hope you got a little bit out of it. Going forward, if you have any topics that you want us to talk about, Chris and I, or if you want us to interview some of your favorite designers or personalities in the hobby, you can always let us know. You can hit me on Twitter at Sean Merwin. You can go to our G Plus community, or you can even go to our website, misdirectedmark.com, and leave a comment that we, that we will look at. 
So we want to give you the kind of content that, that you're interested in. Um, and until then, we will just keep continuing to talk about what we like to talk about. Thanks so, thanks so much for listening, and go kill some monsters. You're done with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're done with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're done with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're done with D&D. You're done with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're done with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm done with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's done with D&D?